Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be talking about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart. This is a very famous story, if not for the sheer fact that the Calvinists usually turn to this as one of their proof texts to show how God uses and hardens someone. And they use the very fallacious logic that because God once used one person for one thing that God uses all people for similar things. You just don't get that from the text. Pharaoh's in this specific position leading over a specific people and God uses him for a specific purpose. You can't extrapolate from that. You, that's a fallacy of composition. And it's a fallacy. But today we're going to be covering this text. We're going to go over what the narrative says. What is it that the author is trying to communicate to the reader? How is the story set up? Who are the main characters? What are their motivations? How do they interact with each other? And what is happening in the text? We're going to have to start today's episode just reminding the audience about how we are to read the Bible, how we're going to read these stories from the Old Testament. You want to read them in a straightforward way. You want to read them as if it is trying to build a narrative, if the author is trying to communicate something to us. So we have to keep our eye on how the story is being presented. Who are the characters? What are their motivations? What are they trying to do? And how does the author describe what's happening? That's our primary concern, especially with these longer narratives. Where motivations are given, we do not want to try to supplant those motivations with our own that we try to bring to the text that is not described in the text. Again, remember, when we're coming to this text, it's not to determine the truth value of what the text is saying. There are individuals that say that Revelation is progressive, that the Bible didn't give us the full picture, especially in the Old Testament. And, you know, we can respect those ideas, but we want to approach the Bible from a literary perspective. What's, what's kind of the most straightforward reading of the text as we read it? And that way, we can understand ancient Jewish religion. At least that's what I care about. That's what's interesting to me. I'm not really concerned about debating people on spiritualizing all the Old Testament texts, unless the context calls for it, unless there's something in the text that would indicate that it's supposed to be some sort of moralistic story, some sort of idiom or some sort of fable. You know, otherwise, if it's just being presented as straightforward history, I'm mostly concerned with reading it, figuring out what it's communicating. Most people understand the basic story of what happens in Exodus. Joseph has brought Israel to Egypt. And they have a pretty good time for a while, but pretty soon there's new kings that arrive. A new pharaoh comes up who doesn't know who Joseph is, doesn't know who the god of Joseph is. And he sees all these Israelites, and he's not very impressed or happy because this is basically a foreign occupation of his land. And there's a lot of Jews. There's a lot of Jews in this text. And so Pharaoh tries to enslave them. And Israel starts groaning, and God hears their prayers, and God courts Moses. Moses, at this time, is well-aged and you see almost a false representation of him when you're reading or watching historical videos that try to recreate the Exodus. Like in the Bible miniseries, Moses is this happy-go-lucky guy, like, oh, let's serve God, it's so fun, let's go do that. And in the cartoons, he's all 
very uh, confident and capable. But in the text of Exodus, he's not that capable. He's very fragile. He doesn't want to do it. He resists God. The whole text has various people resisting God. Moses resists God. Pharaoh resists God. The people of Israel resist God. God doesn't have very many friends. And so the, the just the fact that God is rescuing Israel and Israel is so counter to God is just a very interesting facet of this text. God finally does recruit Moses and uses Aaron as his spokesman. And they approach Pharaoh. Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. A series of plagues are brought down on Pharaoh. And Pharaoh finally, after his son is killed, decides to let the people of Israel go. But he soon regrets that decision, follows Moses with his army, and his army is destroyed in the Red Sea as Moses flees to safety through a miracle in which the waters part and allow Israel to pass but swallow up the Egyptian army. The text is very long. The text stretches from Exodus 1 or 2 all the way through Exodus 14 and beyond. This text is long enough to attribute to the various characters, their various emotions, their various thought processes, and to weave an interpersonal dynamic in the story. We don't have to bring our thoughts to this text as much as we would have to other texts, because Often in this text, character motivations are explicitly described. Moses is worried the people won't believe him. Moses is afraid of Pharaoh. Moses doesn't think that he has the capability or the confidence to perform God's work. And it seems that Moses is also very just, just afraid. He's very timid. He just doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. And God really gets angry at him. Note the anger in this text. God wants Moses to do something. Moses refuses. God offers solutions. Moses still refuses. God becomes angry while offering more solutions until a compromise is achieved. This is a very open theistic text where God doesn't get his way and continually does not get his way. And God always has to compromise and innovate in order to get his will done to do what he wants to do. In Exodus 2, God hears the groaning of Israel. They're under impression by Pharaoh. And in Exodus 3, God makes an observation about Pharaoh. Exodus 3.19 But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by even a mighty hand. So it sounds to me when I'm reading this, and this is what I would also predict that just a normal reader would assume from this text, just reading it. I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. God is using present knowledge to predict future actions of Pharaoh. And this isn't assured, you know, looking in a crystal ball to figure out what Pharaoh is going to do. This is using probabilities based on knowing someone's current character. And so what does God do in response to this knowledge? So God acquires this information by looking at who Pharaoh is, and what Pharaoh thinks. And God uses this information to formulate a plan. And his plan is in Exodus 3.20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. Now the Calvinists, the Fatalists, they'll take verse 20 and they'll say, look, God can see the future. Really? God can see the future? What about verse 19? 
What about the entire context where God does not predict Moses's resistance and God doesn't get what God sought to do? God said he was going to do something, said he was going to use Moses a certain way, and then decided not to as some sort of compromise. This is not in the context of God knowing the future through a crystal ball. God is using verse 20 as a power verse. God is saying, Pharaoh resists me. Pharaoh doesn't like me. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use all my power, and I'm going to twist his arm. With enough torture, he is going to let you go. I got that power to do that to him. I will subject him through my power. This is a confidence claim. This is not a knowledge of the future claim. This is God exercising his power. And remember, why does God have to exercise his power? Because God perceives that Pharaoh is stubborn and Pharaoh is prideful and he's not going to let Israel go unless he's forced to. This is all about free will. God wouldn't have to do this. The entire exodus would not have had to happen if Pharaoh was not oppressing Egypt and also was less prideful and was able to just let Israel go without much of a fight. But God sees that he's not and decides to use this for a specific purpose. And we get more insight into that purpose. We, we get it here, but let's also turn to Exodus 7. Real quick on Exodus 3.19, where God says, you know, I'm sure that he's not going to let you go, not even by a mighty hand. James White, Calvinist, he would say of verses like this, that we can't use our modern reading comprehension skills to understand these texts. Because ancient Israel would have had a different set of reading comprehension skills that are inaccessible to us, and just trust us, they are going to understand all these texts in light of negative theology. That's James White's literal position. And you see that in his debate with Hunt. James White has his debate with Dave Hunt, where Dave Hunt says, a normal person is going to read this text differently. And James White says, oh, you can't trust modern reading comprehension standards. Just trust me, we're right and you're wrong. Brilliant. Brilliant. Gold star, James White. We are at Exodus 7, and this is Yahweh speaking again. And he's speaking... To Moses and he says I will harden Pharaoh's heart what does that sound like to you it sounds like to me that God is purposely doing something to Pharaoh's heart how is he doing it the text doesn't like give a mechanism it doesn't say that he's overriding free will I don't even think that that's an ancient Jewish concept that a free will can be just overridden and and just replaced with like a puppet but God is hardening Pharaoh's heart and why is he doing this? And multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. This is hearkening back to what we've already discussed. That Pharaoh's not going to let the people go except for by a strong hand. And so what God's going to do is he's going to use Pharaoh to show a bunch of signs and a bunch of miracles and powers. Verse 4 says, But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. Sounds to me that God is using this as a way to highlight his powers. He's, he's holding Pharaoh back so that Pharaoh's suffering could be increased and more people are going to hearken to the God of Israel and say, this is the actual God. Verse 5 says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. 
when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. God says specifically, I'm going to use this to teach the Egyptians something. This looks to me like the text is saying that God is purposely hardening Pharaoh's heart so that he can teach the Egyptians that he is God. Notice the free will in this text. He's trying to reach the people of Egypt and teach them something. No matter how you spin it, this is all about free will. The Calvinists will focus on the hardening, but they'll just entirely skip the reason for the hardening is to reach people. If God's just controlling everything, like Calvinists say, there's no reason to convince people of things. He could just make them believe those things. God doesn't have to do things in order to convince people of other things. It just doesn't have to happen if God's meticulously controlling everything and no one has free will. So we got the Calvinist position on this text, but then we also got the open theist position on this text. And I think, personally, through my studies, I think is a little bit weak. I used to be more of a Enyart position supporter, and Enyart's position is that Pharaoh's heart is hardened not directly, but incidentally. God's using his signs and showing his wonders, and as a result, Pharaoh's heart is getting hardened. And God didn't want Pharaoh's heart to get hardened, but that's just a consequence of God doing those signs. There was a time where that sort of thought appealed to me. Like, I thought, well, okay, that's that's a pretty reasonable position to take. But that's just not how the text reads to me. And when the Calvinists point this out to open theists and Arminians, we can't just dismiss what the Calvinists say. They are turning to their strongest points, and we have to objectively evaluate what they're trying to say about the text and if the text really supports what they are saying. And here I think they have a pretty decent point. God wants Pharaoh's heart hard in order to accomplish something. What we especially should not be doing is bringing our own value judgments to the text. We might think, oh, God's love, and if God is purposely trying to make Pharaoh not repent, then God's not love, and then try to reinterpret everything in light of that. And I think that's what Enyart kind of does with his explanation. But if the text gives a motivation, that's the motivation that we should stick with unless we have like compelling evidence that that's not the case. This is not the only time that this is said. This is said throughout the text, the reasoning for why God is doing what he's doing. And remember back to our Exodus 32 text, why why does God spare Israel? God, God was going to destroy all of Israel, but spares them. Why? Because enemy nations or foreign peoples, they're going to look at God in a negative light. So it makes sense that God is doing things to cast himself in a positive light to these pagan people because God cares about his image and Exodus really communicates and hones in on this point and this actually inspires God to do various things that God does is God's reputation. The text in Exodus 7 says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart but God's not the only one throughout Exodus that hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart is often hardened by Pharaoh himself. And sometimes it just, the the text just says that his heart was hardened. A lot of those times, the magicians are involved. So it looks to me like not only does God harden Pharaoh's hearts, 
but Pharaoh hardens his heart, and the magicians harden Pharaoh's heart. There's all sorts of people hardening his heart, and it's not through like magic incantations. In Pharaoh's case, he's just a growing stubborn, and he's uh, boiling with some sort of jealousy or rage. The magicians seem to harden his heart through giving him plausible deniability for the miracles of Moses. And God hardens his heart. We're not exactly told in the text how that is happening, but God does not want Pharaoh to repent too soon because that will not line up with what God's trying to do, his stated motivations in the text. One of the first hardening of Pharaoh's heart looks like it's attributed to the magicians. In Exodus 7.22, Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. They're mimicking what Moses is doing. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the magicians do equivalent acts to what Moses did, and this in turn seems to lead to Pharaoh's heart being hardened. It sounds like to me that the magicians are giving Pharaoh plausible deniability that Moses has a really powerful god that could overcome the gods of Egypt. And Moses might even be a charlatan at this point to Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh's really hardening his heart. He's not going to just bow down to this nobody whose name he does not know, presenting him with these things that he does not want to believe. The next hardening of Pharaoh's heart comes right after the plague of frogs. Moses calls a bunch of frogs. The magicians call more frogs. I guess having more frogs probably didn't do Pharaoh much good. And so Pharaoh really wanted these frogs gone. He wanted to get relief. And he was finally given relief. And then his heart becomes hard again. So what that sounds like to me is that Pharaoh doesn't think that this is going to be a reoccurring thing. That uh, Moses is able to recall similar power acts. This is one of the first plagues against pharaoh the text reads exodus 8:15. but when pharaoh saw that there was relief he hardened his heart and did not heed him as the lord had said again god had predicted this behavior from pharaoh remember because god says that he knows that pharaoh is stubborn and will not let israel go except by a heavy hand moses turns around and calls upon pharaoh a plague of lice This lice, the magicians, they can't replicate, and they say to Pharaoh that this is the finger of God. And this also hardens Pharaoh's heart. It says, but Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. This is the first thing that Pharaoh's magicians cannot duplicate, and that's probably an ego blow to Pharaoh, and that's probably one of the reasons why his heart becomes hardened. It says he hardened his own heart. It sounds like a pride issue, as like in the modern world, when someone's refusing to see their faults or take accountability, it's probably a pride issue. God sends flies. Pharaoh's heart is hardened in Exodus 8.32. God destroys cattle. Exodus 9.7. Pharaoh's heart is hardened again after he figures out that Israel has not had similar casualties to their cattle. In Exodus 9, Pharaoh is struck with both boils and then hail. After the hail, Moses correctly predicts that Pharaoh still does not fear God. And what Moses wants is Pharaoh to fear God. When he knows that's not going to happen. We come back to Exodus 10, and this is another purpose text in God. 
God says, all these things are happening for a very specific purpose. I'm trying to do something here, and I'm really arranging the pieces to make sure that this happens. Exodus 10.1 Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him. You know, he broke the hearts of various servants. They backed out. Pharaoh has been wavering at times. But God really is saying that, I'm still orchestrating this stuff. I'm trying to make this stuff happen. And why? Exodus 10, 2. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things I've done in Egypt. And my signs, which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. This purpose text lines up with the previous purpose text, why God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. So you got an action by God and you got a reason that's described in the text. The question becomes, does Pharaoh have a choice in all of this? Personally, I don't think the Jews had a concept of free will being overridden. Someone's body being taken over by God and forced to do something. And we understand this just by the way the text is written. Moses wonders if Pharaoh's turned. People try to get Pharaoh to turn. Pharaoh considers turning. Exodus 10.3 So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? So this text is really putting blame on Pharaoh. Pharaoh could choose to humble, and God's asking, How long are you going to be refusing to humble yourself? How long? And a Calvinist God, a God outside of time, and a God omniscient of the future, wouldn't have to ask how long. He doesn't have to be impatient. He doesn't have to endure But the God of the Bible, the God throughout the Hebrew text, is a God who is long-suffering and endears and often asks, how long are these people going to reject me? And this says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. God is giving Pharaoh an either-or. This assumes in the text, the writer, just the normal reading of this text, that Pharaoh has a choice. And what does he choose? The way that God predicted he would choose. It's, it's not rocket science here. At this point in the text, it doesn't seem that when God said that he hardened the hearts of Pharaoh's servants, his advisors, it doesn't seem like that's still holding. Because as Exodus 10.7 says, Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not know that Egypt is destroyed? God hardened the servants' hearts, but they have free will. They could choose otherwise, and they do choose otherwise, even though God is actively working to harden their hearts in order to show his miracles. Pharaoh continually tries to lay out the terms of Moses and Israel leaving Egypt. And this backfires, because God's not happy with this, and uses these as opportunities to send more plagues. It should be noted that presumably a lot of Egyptians are already dying in these plagues. And not due to their own fault, but due to stubborn leaders, due to Pharaoh, and due to God's plan here. So when open theists try to reinterpret all this in light of God's love, they got to do something with that. And some open theists say this is like a Satan angel, and they point to the King David incident where David tried to number the people. And then uh, one text has Yahweh doing it. One text has Satan doing it. And they say, see, sometimes Satan does these things and God's not necessarily involved. 
the David numbering the people text is probably not a good example because I personally think that that Satan in that text was an agent of God. Besides the fact that throughout this entire text, all of these acts are attributed directly to Yahweh. This is what God wants, and his reasons and motivations are stated. If you want to reject the text because it doesn't fit your definition of love, go feel free to do that, but just don't claim that the text really has a hidden meaning and it's your meaning. Just say, whoever wrote this text was a little bit more violent than God had revealed himself in Jesus. You know, that, that, that's a valid position, but just don't try to just throw away the text and supplant it with something that we don't find in the narrative. In Exodus 11:9, we come across another motivation statement. If, if we don't have enough already, here's another one. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. God does not stop here. God kills the firstborn of all the families in Egypt, the firstborn of even the cattle, and then God again hardens Pharaoh's heart, Exodus 14.4. Then I'll harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his entire army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Notice the multi-tiered purpose statement. I will do this, so then this event will happen such that these people may be able to understand this. So God's hardening Pharaoh's heart, that's something he's doing, so that Pharaoh is going to pursue Moses such that he can gain honor over Pharaoh. So he's, he's setting up a plan to destroy Pharaoh and his army. And what's the entire overall purpose? Is to teach Egypt that he is the Lord, that he is Yahweh, that he is supreme. And in the Exodus text, there's this very interesting verse in which God defeats and humiliates the gods of Egypt. Exodus 12, 12, this is God speaking. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man, beast, and on, on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. A somewhat parallel text is found in Numbers 33:4. While the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, on their gods also the Lord executed judgments. The Hebrew concept, and this is advocated by people like Michael Heiser, the Hebrew concept is that there are multiple gods who are real. And Paul, in the New Testament, he calls them demons. He says, what the pagans sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. And that's probably what's being represented here, these alternative gods who are really in existence and who God uses the events in Exodus to humiliate, to undermine, to punish. This last twist in God's plans is a new development. This wasn't communicated to Moses in the first chapters of Exodus. In Exodus 3 and 4, kind of leaves off where God says, you know, we're going to threaten Pharaoh's son. This seems like a new development, a new plan. God's innovating a way to really drive home the point that Pharaoh's this mighty king and God could just crush him. And this communicates to Israel and all the neighboring peoples that Yahweh is a God not to be trifled with. The pagan nations hear about this as Israel leaves Egypt, and they have this fear in the back of their mind of this God who can destroy even the mightiest of pharaohs. And throughout the Bible, 
we see this Exodus event being hearkened back to. Every time that the writer wants to prove God is powerful, hearkens back to the Exodus. This is a very important historical event in the life of Israel. And that's the specific stated motivation of God in this text, what he's trying to accomplish. And then it's used for that purpose. It actually becomes incorporated into God's titles. He says, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. And this is a reoccurring name for God, a reoccurring title. This gives me a little sympathy for those who try to say that God wasn't involved in killing anyone in the Exodus. I don't see how that's a tenable position unless you're appealing to progressive revelation. Then again, we're not talking about ancient Jewish religion anymore. We're talking about speculative theology, which is fine to do. But it's, it's just not literary criticism. It's not reading the text for as the text is written and trying to understand it on the face value. So very quickly, in Exodus, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And the reason that God does this, and he does it unapologetically, it doesn't do it with any caveats. God does this in order to do something very specific. He does it to illustrate his power. And the reason that God wants to illustrate his power is because it helps people understand who God is and understand God's power. It's all about free will. It's all about free will. God's trying to convince people of things by doing stuff. And does God convince these people? I mean, Israel, for a short time, believes in God and sees that God brought them out of Egypt and they worship him. But then they fall away right away. And the whole history of the Old Testament is Israel rejecting God. So how lasting is this proof, is this evidence that God wanted to use to convince Israel to serve him? It's not very long lasting, and it only works in spurts. It doesn't quite work out the way that God wants, but it still is used throughout the Bible as the primary power claim of God, especially to the nation of Israel. I am the God that led you out of Egypt. I destroyed this great, mighty nation for you to give you a promised land and to create this covenant with you, the Mosaic Covenant. If you have any questions or comments on today's episode, feel free to throw those on the God is Open webpage or start a thread on the companion Facebook group, God is Open. Thank you for listening. (music) 